confronting fear. It's the destiny of a Jedi. Your destiny. If this mission fails, it was all for nothing. We're not alone. Good people will fight if we lead them. Your journey is its end. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Well, hello, everyone. This is Chris, your host of Inside the Sequel. Um, if you're returning back, welcome. If this is your first time, I definitely recommend you stop listening and then listen to our last two episodes because we're in the the, the near the end of the Star Wars Vember uh, here on the podcast where we're talking about the sequel trilogy of Star Wars. And um, today we're talking about the third entry of the trilogy, the final entry, which is uh, 2019's Rise of Skywalker. And I really don't know how else to say this except that somehow Daniel Epler has returned to be on this episode to wrap up the trilogy. Daniel, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, it's funny, you stole my line. That's exactly what I was going to say when you introduced me. I was going to say something like somehow inside the sequel has returned, but uh, uh, you beat me to it. And honestly, <laughs> I think that just means that we are a dyad in the force and we are connected. <laughs> or you know what you could say? Um, oh, how do I say? It? You could say the dead speaks that the, uh, the inside the sequel is still a, a channel. It's not a dead channel yet. <laughs> That's right. It is a dead channel, but it still speaks. Right. I know. Uh, man, I'm so excited for this episode. I mean, Last Jedi on our last one, I thought we killed it just to pat myself on the back, ourselves on the back. But um, this one, I felt like was the one I needed to talk the most about because one, it's the most recent. And then two, it's not aged well with people. But, you know, I have thoughts on that. Uh, this is also the one I was the most excited to talk about because for me, in, in my view, this is the most controversial entry because mm -hmm. I know Last Jedi is, is technically controversial for a lot of people, but it's not really with almost anyone that I know. And for like the kind of people that like we talk to online, you know, I don't know how many people listen to this who we don't talk to online. There could be a lot. I don't know. Um, but, it, you know, it seems like everybody's a fan of The Last Jedi. So it, us praising that movie almost feels like a lot of preaching to the choir. But this movie, the reaction was like to say polarizing would be an understatement and i might i don't know if i fall on the outside or maybe on I, i'm not sure because it's so polarized but i've got thoughts on this movie yeah I, do. I went on my letterbox to see how people were like how had rated it on upon release and uh i like i just want to say i went through my twitter followers and i unfollowed a lot of people look at you man <laughs> I'm alienating. I'm alienating myself. There are consequences on letterbox folks. Don't forget. If you're not, you could burn bridges. If, you, if you're <laughs> not, if you're not dialing in, in your diary, which porn that you've watched on your letterbox, I'm really judging you. And I'm really skeptical, <laughs> skeptical of um, how much you use your letterbox. If you're just, if you're just putting down watched via the criterion channel or, you know, some other boutique label movie, you just watch out of a new release. If you're not at least logging one porn movie a month, you're, you're just clout chasing right there. How, how are we on this topic in this episode? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dude. You know, I, I was on know, Film Feast. I, I had to get a lot <laughs> out of my system. I have some entrails still. You know, I'm honest about my letterbox logging because like there's some Netflix Christmas movies on my log right now for the past month. And yeah, uh, I, I don't care if people see that, you know, you know, they judge me. That's okay. Dude, that, uh, that was Wayne, the rock Johnson and, uh, Gal Gadot <laughs> movie. um, 
I didn't know if this movie was going to make or break the letterbox app because it's so negative, but like some people are like, eh, you know what? It's cool. It's goaded. You know, I, uh, I rated that movie three out of five because I was honestly like, I thought it was ridiculous how much people were bashing that movie, but given distance, I might've been a little generous. <laughs> Bruh, I, I stalked you as always. And you laid, you rated rise of Skywalker the first time three and a half stars. I did. And it, it has grown over time, which is something we're going to talk about, but it has a movie. It is a movie that has really, really grown on me. Dude, do you remember watching it opening night? Do you Matt? Do you remember the hype we had? It's still one of my favorite like movie experiences in the last couple of years, besides uh, Endgame, obviously. I do because I went into this movie with so many expectations, more than the past two. Because Force Awakens, I had no idea what to expect, no idea. Uh, last Jedi, I, you know, I said on the podcast last week that I was in college, I was very busy, I just didn't have a lot of time for Star Wars speculation and rumor following and blah blah. blah. <laughs> I just wasn't paying attention to that stuff, so not a whole lot of expectations, I suppose. But this movie two years of just obsession over what is going to happen in this movie. And I went through different phases, man. Like I went through times where I was like, I really want this to happen. And then like, I, I watched last Jedi three more times and was like, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong. This is what should happen. And, uh, and I did not get the movie that I expected. You could say I did not get the movie I wanted, but I have really come to embrace that movie that I didn't think I wanted. Bro. Okay. Yes, to all of that. Um, it was also a big deal. We are we were finishing the trilogy. Like I barely remember the um, the impact Revenge of the Sith had on the world when it came out. You know, and what obviously were you we were like nine. Yeah, back I mean, then. <laughs> yeah, like my voice is still high pitched. It hasn't changed since that time. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I didn't feel any magnitude. You know, nobody was talking Star Wars all the time. But with this movie. I mean, it's the end of a trilogy. And 2019, again, was a big year for movies. Like, you get Endgame, you get this, you get um, the Oscar nominee movies coming out throughout the year, the summer blockbusters that were coming out too. Like, I mean, 2019 was a big year and Star Wars was a part of that. Um, I remember I was more nervous to get tickets for that than almost maybe Force Awakens because it's the final movie and everyone was going to go see it regardless of what they thought with Last Jedi. Um and I'm the same. I, I really didn't know what to expect. I remember also kind of feeling like, okay, when J.J. Abrams was coming back for this movie, I remember feeling a little slighted, you know? And then I was like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, man. Um, and there's a way that people talk about this movie that I don't like. Well, it's really how they talk about the whole sequel trilogy is there is so much psychoanalyzing oh, of God. the creatives behind the picture. And people are constantly wanting to put malicious intent or just stupidity onto people involved with these movies so like last Jedi is the way it is because he hates me personally uh, <laughs> these movies are the way they are because Kathleen Kennedy hates men or this movie is the way it is because JJ Abrams is a moron and I don't I don't like any of that I don't like engaging in it so I'm just here to talk about a movie and I'm not going to like I'm not going to call J.J. Abrams like a stupid, a, a moron or a bad person or blah, blah, blah. There's just way too much of that going on when people talk about this film. Dude, seriously. I think one of the cringiest things outside of um, Infinity or Endgame reaction videos, you know, like people opening night watching, you know, like Endgame and stuff and hear those theaters like just having such outbursts. 
the most cringy videos besides Jeremy John and Flick Pig videos on the internet are <laughs> our opening night reactions to Rise of Skywalker. They're the most offensive. They're the most unpleasant, like things to even watch. I couldn't even imagine being in theaters with uh, a bad audience. Luckily, when we went to go see it, um, I thought we had a really good audience. I think the only thing I was really yeah. pissed off about the most was AMC theaters. They've turned the lights on before the movie even ended. And it pissed me really? off. So much. Yeah. Did you not know? Like they do that all the time. I forgot. Even with, I went to go see the turtles in IMAX. They did the same thing. And it wasn't even before, it was not even before the credits rolled. They turn on the lights. That's like Netflix playing a preview five seconds into the end credits. Yeah. It's weird. I don't know why AMC does that, but I remember they were doing that with Rise of Skywalker. It was kind of sucking me out of the emotion and the impact of that ending. Um, but other than, I mean, besides that, I mean, I had a great time in theaters with that. Um, obviously we got, you know, juiced and had chilies and talked about the movie more after, but, um, <laughs> yeah, this is an oddly negative driven movie from, from people. And I still don't understand why, um, I left Twitter for a month over <laughs> this movie. I could not take the, the reactions anymore because the negative reactions, and it seemed to be mostly negative online that I was seeing, uh, were going one of two ways. One, it was just mockery, like just snarky, making fun of this movie. J.J. Abrams is an idiot. I'm so much smarter. Look how stupid this is. Or it was, and this was harder to take, like despair. Like there were people that were broken hearted over this movie. And I'm not mad at those people. I'm not here to call you out or anything like, you know, I'm sorry if this movie affected you that way. I just did not have that experience, but I'm just this guy who I was, you know, I didn't love everything in the movie, but overall I had, a, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done. Yeah. I had a great time. Um, and then just online people broken hearted or just openly making fun of it. And I was like, I can't do this. And I left Twitter for a month. And I think that was a good decision. Yeah. Yeah. And then you came back and ruined it all. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I'm sorry, everybody that, you know, I ruined Twitter for y'all. Somehow Epler Daniel <laughs> has come back to Twitter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but so, you know, I rewatched this movie again and I think this is like the fourth or fifth time already since it's, you know, released in theaters that I've seen it. I've and, uh, logged in on Letterboxd six times Jesus. <laughs> because I saw it in theaters four times. Yeah. Oh, you saw. Yeah. I saw it with you the next morning. That was fun. Um, yeah, we did that. That was a blast. Yeah. I think I, then I saw it again one more time and then I watched more than half, more, almost all of it. Um, when Seth put it on the apartment and then I watched it again this time. Um, so I was categorized like, so, you know, this movie's pretty remember, like I remember a lot throughout this whole movie. It's the most recent one, obviously. And uh, when I was watching the movie, I was cataloging like all the notes and the things I liked in this movie, because, you know, it's the finale of the sequel trilogy movies. And it's like, I want it to be positive. I want to talk, you know, I want it to be like, these are the things, how I interpret them in the movie. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on them because they're like, you know, they're things we talk about in public. I think people would love to hear. So like the first note I have, I love this movie's opening when it says the dead speak. I love that opening title crawl. I love everything that's it's, it's being said, even just the parts we talked about Supreme leader Kylo all the way to Kylo on a planet, you know, murking a bunch of people. Just, I love this movie's opening. It's so like, so quick. It's strong. It's maybe one of the best besides last Jedi, I would say. I love it too, man. And it's, and it, the movie was like shocking to me right from the start. Um, it, because you know, you're, you're expecting Palpatine to be in it. You know that, but mm -hmm. I was not expecting to get Palpatine <laughs> right at the start, right at the start. Mm -hmm. And I found the opening for this movie so pulpy and so back to like, 
the old school serial roots of Star Wars, yeah. where it's just like, here is a live action comic book fun. And uh, yeah, you get Kylo Ren just mass murdering people. You know, <laughs> Ryan Johnson leaves Kylo Ren in a very, very dark place at the end of Last Jedi. And J.J. Abrams, he picks it right back up. Kylo was in a very dark place. And and he's the boss of the First Order, but he comes to find there's this other mastermind behind everything. And I love that Kylo, it, like, obviously he knew who the Emperor was. His immediate reaction is, I'm number one. I got to kill this old this old geezer, basically. You know, like, yeah. he really is still writing, like you said, writing off the coattails of, like, you know, let the past die. And he doesn't want any sort of remnants of that anymore. Um and when he when they introduce Palpatine, what does JJ Abrams do? He rides along with the Snoke thing, showing that Snoke was a creation and that Palpatine's been pulling the strings. I love the Snokes in a jar. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, dude, I got every time I see this, I think of Frankenstein, dude. Like I think of like how insanely sci-fi and like, you know, re- bringing the dead back to life, you know, and then you get Palpatine attached to this thing and then he's quoting episode 3, <laughs> you know? Like, I never thought, like, this movie has so, besides Last Jedi, this movie has a lot of strong ties to the prequel movies. And I think that's really cool, because I feel like the prequel movies don't get mentioned enough in Star Wars until, like, Last Jedi, really. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this. What do you think about the fact that Palpatine comes back? Because that was a big shock for a lot of people. You know, I we talked about it a lot during our, in our group chats, because, you know, we have we always talk about movies and stuff. And I, I kind of suspected that, you know, Palpatine would come back too, but I didn't think everything that would be revealed about him would be the way it was. But I also didn't think they would just toss away Snoke the way they did. I have no, like, I have like no, how, what do you say, um, investment in the character of Snoke. So when they showed that, I thought that was funny. I thought that was great, you know, <laughs> like and acknowledging that Palpatine knows how to use pawns and like take advantage of uh, other characters in this universe. So I think Palpatine really personifies one of my main theses about this movie, which is I think this movie has several kind of bad ideas on paper. Things that if you just told me, sounds like a bad idea. Bringing back Palpatine, like he's pretty pretty definitively dead at the end of Return of the Jedi. Like, mm-hmm. don't do that. But it takes these seemingly bad ideas and executes them so well. I think this movie just keeps doing that. Like it does things that I would say, I don't want that. Don't do that, J.J. Abrams. And then just kind of like nails it because I love Palpatine in this movie. He is so fun to watch. Like Ian McDermott, I I love him. It's his character so much. And I specifically love him because of the prequels. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a confession to make. I'm not a big fan of the Emperor in Return of the Jedi. Like I, I really... I really like Return of the Jedi a lot. Um, It's not one of my top favorite Star Wars movies. Like there are things about it that I kind of find clunky. I think Return of the Jedi is is kind of the opposite of Rise of Skywalker in that it has nothing but great ideas, but not a really great director behind it and Mm -hmm. doesn't execute all those ideas perfectly well. And Ian McDermott in that movie, you know, he's he's just kind of playing pulpy over the top campy villain, mm-hmm. but he really finds the character in the prequels. Yeah. And he's so good in those movies. And this is like old Palpatine with all of that weight and gravitas that comes from the prequels on him. And he's great. He's great in this movie. And I love how he's hooked up to that machinery. Mm-hmm. I love your Frankenstein thought. Um, 
he is enormously fun to watch. And I'm now like, I, I wouldn't have said I want Palpatine back, but now I'm thrilled to have Palpatine back because I thought he was such a great villain for this movie. Right. And it sets the tone for the rest of the movie. It feels like uh, this movie's paced so quickly because it starts off with the reveal right off the bat. So then you're thinking, is Kylo really just going to submit to Palpatine? But right off the bat, he also shows he's not really trustworthy of Palpatine. He's kind of intending on turning against him at some point, you know, as well. So this movie feels like urgency. And I like that, but you know, it's just so many things all at once hitting me. And I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm strapping my seatbelt in for this ride and I'm going to just let it take me where it goes. Um, also the movie like dwells even more, like people complain, like we've talked about this plenty of time, people complain about the EU and Star Wars with the sequel movies, but this movie dwells so much into like lore, like talking about the Exel planet and the Sith language and like the Sith planet and like Palpatine being the Supreme Sith, you know, these crazy ideas that like really are like not ever really mentioned as deeply as this movie does with, the, with this character Palpatine and his history. And I think that's just really good. I think it really, you know, I think it really wraps up the Palpatine character way more than just him being a Sith Lord who was a senator and then becomes an emperor, you know? Like, it gives him more weight of being, like, this ultimate big baddie, you know? Yeah, because he he's like so mythic in this movie. I mean, he mm -hmm. seems like the devil himself. Yes. And in, you know, in Return of the Jedi, undoubtedly Darth Vader is the main villain of that movie. Yes. And, and like, Darth Vader's the focus. Um, and Palpatine never really got the chance to be the focus of a finale um, because, you know, he just got introduced in that movie aside from a little hologram and Empire Strikes Back. And he's not in it for that much. Like I said, the performance is, is, is iconic, undoubtedly. But I, like I said, I think he found the character much more later on. The actor did. Yeah. And um, it, it, like you could think of this movie as like a do-over for the end of Palpatine, mm -hmm. but I kind of like getting one more shot at the end of Palpatine. But on the other hand, like something we got to talk about, Chris, I really want to know your thoughts about this is does this sort of negate Anakin Skywalker's importance that if the important thing Anakin Skywalker does at the end of his life is kill Palpatine and then he just comes back, does that make him being the chosen one less important? I'd say we wouldn't get to this point if it wasn't for Anakin. And then later in this movie um, with the Jedi speaking to Ray, there's a quote that Hayden Christensen says where he says, bring back the balance like I did before. So it acknowledges that Anakin accomplished his prophecy, but like anything, I mean, evil will always somehow come back. You know, it's just like an inevitable, like inevitable stop to it. I don't think it lessens it. I just think it's... <sighs> I don't know. Cause like Palpatine is literally every Sith, you know, it's like, I've never heard of that in the star Wars movies before until this movie. So like for Pal for Darth Vader, Anakin to just throw him off the balcony and then get blown up at the end feels very anti anticlimactic to all of this weight, you know, at the time. And in this movie, sure. it kind of brings back that, you know, it wasn't even enough for the chosen one, the, the Jesus character of the Star Wars movies to just, you know, kill the devil. You know, the devil still comes back and still brings sin and such, however you want to interpret the movies in that way. And, um, you know, it, it makes only Ray's importance in the movie more significant. You know, it's not just a Ray versus Kylo. It's not a Luke versus Darth Vader again. It's like now she has to really take on a lot more. And she feels like more like of an important character in the lore of Star Wars because... She literally is one of the few characters that needs all the Jedi behind her to stop this evil, 
you know, it's, it really does feel like the last hope. Like we talked about like episode four with Luke and being how great he was. Ray feels like a stronger Luke in a way. Cause there's more importance in this universe now. Ooh, I don't know if I can go with you on stronger because Luke is my favorite character, right. but I hear what you're saying. I, I really want to talk about Ray just to backtrack on Anakin real quick. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I don't think this lessens the impact necessarily. Um, Cause I think, I don't just think Anakin is the chosen one just because he's the one that kills Palpatine. I also think it's because of the family that he starts and how important the Skywalker family becomes. And I know a lot of people don't like that, like, oh, why is Star Wars always about this one family? But guys, it's the Skywalker saga. This, this saga is about the Skywalker family. Like, that's just mm -hmm. undeniable. Mm -hmm. And I also think that's the importance of Anakin Skywalker is also the family that he creates. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, because of what Anakin did, we get peace in the galaxy relatively, we get peace in the galaxy for about 30 years. And that's mm -hmm. a huge, that is very significant, you know, like mm -hmm. peace for 30 years is amazing. Imagine right. if like earth could do that for 30 years, <laughs> we cannot do that. Um, and it's, I think it's also clear to me that Anakin does kill Palpatine. He comes, he comes back from the dead through and this movie plays fair with the lore of star wars it's oh, not yeah. making bullshit up like he comes back through the dark side because the the saga has already george lucas himself has already set up that the dark side can do that mm -hmm. um and they also use cloning and that they suggest that this is like a palpatine clone in some way uh, again cloning very important in star wars mm -hmm. so this movie is not it didn't create new powers to do this. I think it's totally playing fair with Star Wars nerds that know about the, the lore of these movies. Yeah, it's kind of like the yin of the yang, where is if the Sith want to have the power to come back and be resurrected, you know, and be a very weak, you know, being, I guess, because obviously Palpatine is not to full strength. That's why he's manipulating Kylo and projecting himself to other voices and stuff to manipulate him. Where the Jedi, they don't get a resurrection, but they walk with the living as ghosts, you know, and they can obviously interact with objects within the real world, which we see throughout this movie. Um, so kind of kind of contrasts the difference between the, the, the Sith and the Jedi and how they enact with the force after death in a way. And uh, it kind of gives like the idea of like, oh, I'd rather be a force ghost, you know, that's like being able to interact with people and, and still communicate with them versus being like this sickly barely alive being that's reliant on so many other things you know what i mean sure yeah um but yeah i think this movie the, like you said with palpatine back it has so many ramifications all at once and it's like within the first five minutes of the movie you know but yeah. i will say what i love the transition to be is when um they show the the final order and all these fleets and stuff it really feels like a doom and gloom scenario but what this movie does really well throughout it, especially in the beginning, is it shows this doom and gloom of this rising evil. But then it gives you so much like hype and excitement because then we get to see like, you know, Poe, we get to see Finn and we get to see everyone um, hyperspace, like hyperdrive. What is it called? Um, hyperdrive skipping, you know, and you, you light speed skipping, light speed skipping. And you get all this like fun hype right off the bat. You know, it's like when. It feels like as if like uh, when the Millennium Falcon is being driven by Ray and Finn when they're escaping Jakku for the first time, all in within the first 10 minutes of the movie. It's, it, I don't know how the pacing, like, I don't know how they did that because I kept, I was so sucked in, in this like nearing the end of a war, you know, while also having a good time with these characters. Yeah, I'm so sucked in the entire movie. The movie's pacing, it's really fast and mm -hmm. it just moves. It's so rewatchable because of that. Like I said, I saw it in mm -hmm. theaters four mm -hmm. times, always mm -hmm. had a blast. 
Um, I just think, I hate how, I feel like people watch this movie and they just saw like one or two, just a few choices that they didn't like. They walked in thinking like, I want this out of this movie because I saw Last Jedi and these are my predictions. And they didn't get some of those things. And then they just write the movie off. It's terrible. It's stupid, blah, blah, blah. Ignoring the fact that it is so entertaining and it's so well-directed and it mm -hmm. looks amazing. And the action sequences are spectacular. I mean, I was even, I was kind of annoying. I don't know if I was annoying, but I was kind of annoying Stephanie while we were watching this because I kept having vocal reactions, especially to action beats and being like, oh my God, that is so cool. At one time I said like, oh, that rules. And she turned to me and she said, does anything in this movie not rule? Because apparently I was saying that a lot. Like, I don't know. I don't know if anything doesn't rule. <laughs> Uh, it's just such a fun, exciting movie. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are overlooking that because they don't like a couple of screenwriting choices. And right. that's pretty lame. I, I mean, think. I think you're denying yourself enjoyment in a really fun movie. Seriously? I mean, that's what happens when you get Chris Terrio in your writing squad. That's what's going to happen. I'm just kidding. I don't know very much about him, to be honest. Well, I know he, sure he made. Well, he also helped Zack Snyder with his writing in the DC films. That's too. what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Also, um, movies that have grown on me a little right, bit. Right. Yeah. With like, you know, entertaining movies, you know, that have some story writing choices that don't work really well. But also, you get to see a Dune worm um, when, <laughs> uh, like, when they're hyperdrive skipping. And I was like, oh, look at Oscar Isaac seeing a Dune worm right before he's going to be in Dune. That's so meta. Yeah, I'm sure J.J. Abrams, he was definitely looking into the future. He was referencing a movie two years in the, two years in the future. <laughs> and I love the part when after the hyperdrive skip and he tells Finn, you know, you know, some men, great men aren't don't become leaders. They're called to it. But if you don't take it, you'll be everything I needed you to be. You'll be my son. And I'm like, not son. Um, I mean, <laughs> they can't be father and son because I totally ship them as a couple. <laughs> yeah, this movie has a lot of good chemistry moments for these characters. Like yeah. even the minor characters have great chemistry moments throughout this movie. Like Carrie Fisher's daughter, um, you get the actor who played uh, Mary in the Lord of the Rings with small little spots. Um, but it's just like interacting with the main characters. Um, one thing that feels off in this movie is Rose's character. And that feels weird to me because like, I don't, I, it's one of those weird things in this movie where in hindsight, you're kind of going, you know what happened here but then it's like it's an odd like win for people who didn't like this movie and it feels gross i um yeah it's my it's my biggest problem with the movie honestly and it's mm -hmm. the you know we always joke about those people who say i can fix the sequel trilogy <laughs> i don't i don't need to fix anything but if i would change that i would like let's give more stuff to rose let's let her go off on the adventure mm -hmm. you know J.J. Uh, Abrams has said that the reason that she's not in it as much is because most of the stuff he wrote for her was with Leia. And, you know, tragically, Carrie Fisher passed away before mm -hmm. they started making this movie. So they had to work with footage they had already filmed for previous movies. You know, it was, it was a really rough situation that was, you know, born out of real life tragedy. And there's just no way to get around it, really. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't know if, if he's 100% telling the truth. I think it's possible that maybe he was just more interested in the characters he created. And, and Ryan Johnson was the one who was interested in Rose and he kind of wasn't. That's not a retcon of The Last Jedi. I actually right. don't really agree with people who say this movie is a big retcon of Last Jedi. I think it yes ands Last Jedi a lot more than people think it does if mm -hmm. they would just stop to really think about it. Mm -hmm. 
but that's yeah that is one thing that i i, I agree with you i wish rose had more screen time yeah do you remember this movie also had the shortest production time of any of the other two movies too and on top of a big big character's untimely death this movie and like like it, it had a lot of things going against it which feels weird for the wrap-up of a sequel of, of a trilogy you know yeah i guess i don't really know a lot a lot about the behind the scenes to be honest but i i mean in most all cases i really love the end product mm -hmm. this is a movie that's and i've just come to love it more every time i watch it i mean this last time i watched it it was like it was like bliss and like look i'm you know you can call this like a bad movie if you want but i'm a big star wars fan and this movie gives me so much star wars joy like it's just so joyful and and uh, I just love it, man. Yeah, uh, I, I do too. I think this movie, um, it's it, it it went so smooth like this time around. Like it was so easy to watch. I enjoyed a bunch of parts of it. I was cracking up a few times. Um, I remember thinking, saying to myself like, oh, that's so cool. I love this scene. My commentary in the movie, like I was like, oh, I really like this movie a lot. You know, even more than I thought I told myself I did. Um, and yeah, it's a shame that people don't want to enjoy it like that. But uh, one thing I really like um, is like this, the comparisons to the original trilogy. This movie is very much invested in the history of Star Wars because that's why I think it works well as a wrap-up movie. It incorporates all the different phases of the Star Wars movies from the prequels to the original trilogy, even parts of the sequel movies as well. Um, like remember when, when Rey is like training and she's like, I'm not feeling it. I'm not getting in touch with them. And she flips over and the rocks fall and she's doing her training. And it's very homage to episode four and episode five. And then um, I kept thinking to myself, Ray feels like she's up, like she, her training feels so much more significantly harder than Luke's was in episode five. You know, like she's blindfolded while also like balancing on like a, on a log, you know, while deflecting blasts, you know, and she's doing like, I don't know. I just, I really like that training segment. I used to remember thinking like, oh, just a quick training segment. But this time around, I kept thinking like, man, like Ray has really come along in this movie. Yeah. She's really kind of obsessed with training at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really just because she cares so much about measuring up to the Jedi who have come before her. And she clearly has some confidence issues because she gives the lightsaber back to Leia at one point says, I will earn your saber one day. And my first reaction is like, what? Cause you like, didn't finish your training course. Like it doesn't mean you haven't earned the lightsaber or whatever, but I think she's just really, she really feels the weight of legacy and she just wants to measure up. Um, and it's interesting that Poe is mad at her at the beginning for not going out fighting all the time. But I, you know, I think maybe she cares, like, so, like I said, she cares maybe a little bit too much about training, but also I think she knows that Jedi have some higher concerns than just going out fighting. And maybe she does feel it's more important for a Jedi to meditate and commune with the force and get in touch with the spirituality of everything rather than just going out and kicking ass all the time, which is mm -hmm. what Poe wants to do. He, he wants to kick ass and blow up and we love him for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the, this movie. Like I, when you talk about Poe, you know, say like, what did you do to my droid? She's like, what did you do to the ship? And then they, they start that banter and then Finn comes in. This movie does, it does a lot of good things right. But the one thing I think it does the strongest is like have these three main characters together with the chemistry and it works so naturally and it's so fun every time all of them are together. Yeah, they're all, they're all done so well in this movie. One of the things I love so much about this film, for some reason, I wasn't totally expecting it going in. It is a total Ray movie. Like, I think it is the least ensemble of the three. Like, Ray is very clearly the main character of the film. 
And she's so awesome in this movie. Like, I think this is such a fantastic Ray movie. And I love that character. And I just love her more because of this movie. There's so much I love about her in this film, but she's such a great, awesome protagonist to follow through. Um, Poe is really fun. Poe is kind of like the comedy relief of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Finn is awesome in this film like he was really standing out to me on this watch and Mm -hmm. i was just really marveling the growth that that character has gone through yeah because in force awakens he's like a a nervous little boy in that movie like he doesn't really feel like a man he's nervous he lies about stuff he's just trying to get by he's a little bit the comedy relief of that movie to be honest then the last jedi is where he gets really tested and put through the ringer and he's he pairs up with rose and he really learns from her the value of helping people and of the resistance And by this movie, he is a man. He is a grown ass man and he's awesome. And he's a great fighter in the resistance and he's getting more in touch with the force. And I think it's, I think we're definitely going to get future Star Wars media, maybe just books or maybe more than that, where Finn becomes a Jedi. I think that's definitely coming. I know a lot of people wanted that in the trilogy, but we need to remember that Star Wars very commonly just slightly introduces themes or characters or things like that. And it gets later explored mm-hmm. in later media. Um, very common in Star Wars. And I think we're going to get that one day. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think Finn is the, one of the strongest points of this whole movie besides Ray. Um, I just love their banter, man. And you get, uh, you throw in C-3PO and R2, get a lot of screen time in this movie too. And then, uh, you know, BB-8 gets his friend, you know, and Dio, you know, like everyone kind of gets like their shining moments throughout this movie. Um, also you get a lot of Nidnub scenes. You get a lot of Carrie Fisher's <laughs> daughter in this movie who kind of replicates her mother's, um, you know, hairstyles in this movie. I thought this time around, like she, I was like, oh man, I really like her in these movies. Like they're not big roles, but like every time she's on screen, I was like, I like seeing her on there because you've grown with these minor characters. And then in the final movie, you're just like, oh, I love this character. I don't know their name, but I love that character, you know? Um, and then when they decide like what the mission is, I love the part where Leia kind of just stops Ray and tells her never be afraid of who you are, you know, because it has so much weight for the movie and it kind of sets a tone for Ray and that yeah. character. Um, there's a lot the Carrie Fisher and Daisy Ridley's chemistry throughout this trilogy is great. And in this movie, it's just so good. Like it, it feels so strong, you know, and they finally get time to train together in those small moments, but you feel like they've been doing it for a while, you know? Yeah, I love that Leia becomes Rey's Jedi Master, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember seeing that in the opening night and being just thrilled with that, even though, you know, it's tragic that the Leia stuff could have been so much better and they were so limited on what they could do, so limited on screen time. And, you know, like I said, nothing they could do about it. It's just tragic. But what they were able to pull off, I think they did a pretty good job. I really think they do with, you know, what they had to work with. Right. And speaking of things to work with, um, dude, what do you think of Kylo Ren having to work with the Knights of Ren in this movie? We finally get to see the Knights of Ren in this movie. Um, it does. I don't know. It's one of those weird things. I can remember making comments about the movie with Ray, with Ray, uh, Kylo Ren's relationship with the Knights of Ren. And I'm like, they're just here to look cool, you know, and Kylo changes his helmet, which the helmet is cool. Don't get me wrong. Like the drip for Kylo is always great, but I miss the, ma- I miss the flow. Like I like the baby face flow look. You mean his hair? You mean yeah. you're talking yeah. without the mask? Yeah. Gotcha. I am one of the people that thinks it totally makes 
storytelling sense that uh, Kylo gets the mask back. I know a lot of people say that, oh, it's just because Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams couldn't agree because uh, <laughs> Ryan Johnson doesn't like the mask, but J.J. is like, I like it. I'm putting it back. By the way, people remember there is absolutely no evidence of beef between Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams. There is zero evidence of that. You are making that up. <laughs> um, I think it totally makes sense because if you remember in The Last Jedi, why does Kylo Ren take the mask off and beat it up? Because Snoke makes fun of him for wearing it and he's embarrassed. That is why. It's not because Kylo doesn't like the mask, but now that he's killed Snoke, he's like, fuck him. I'm going to put my mask back because it's cool drip and I like it. And right. he, he wears it again. And I think that makes sense. And the mask is cool. It looks awesome. I, I, I love that they bring it back. I love when General Hux is like, there's something with the mask. No, sir. Well done. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Richard E. Grant. I know you're a big Richard E. Grant fan. Um, oh my God. When they show me this movie, I'm like, he looks so fucking evil. <laughs> I love him in this movie. I love the incorporation of like the hierarchy of the officers within the first order. Just the same thing they did with Grand Moff Tarkin and everything in, in Captain Needle, uh, Nita, excuse me, in Empire Strikes Back as well. Um, I, I think Richard E. Grant brings a really, really strong performance that's needed for the bad guys in this movie besides Hux and Kylo. Yeah, I adore Richard E. Grant as an actor. I almost see it as kind of a, uh, a Peter Cushing homage that they brought in an actor who has fought Dracula <laughs> oh. to, to be sort of the new head Imperial officer. Um, yeah, I think he's so good in this movie. He is so dripping with evil. Mm -hmm. And I love that he is like a true religious believer in the Sith. And we've never really seen that in an Imperial officer, but like he believes in this shit and he worships at the mm -hmm. altar of Palpatine like he's God. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. And he, it, and I, I love how Hux is, or not Hux, that one um, general or officer, he's like, can we even trust these people in Mexico? They're cultists and stuff like that. And I'm, yeah. I agree with you. It's weird that they make the Sith in a religious type of sect in a way, you know, which we've never really explored before. And uh, it makes him feel more evil and like creepy in a weird way, especially in the in the ending, the third act of this movie on Exegol, um, the Palpatine interaction with Ray. It just kind of is kind of creepy, you know, with Star Wars has never been super creepy like that. And I like that kind of angle. It is creepy because Palpatine looks really super scary in this movie and he is a cult leader. And that's not just like, you know, like you said, that's not just subtext, it's text. He's a cult leader in this movie. It's awesome. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, one thing I noticed in this movie, especially when everyone's getting on their adventures and the movie's really getting kicked into gear. Um, this movie has so many freaking like robots and alien species um, and planet visits that like as someone who loves just like the, 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 the world of Star Wars, this movie is one of the strongest, I would say, that has different alien species. Like you get in the Millennium Falcon, the Clyde alien character that's like looking at the how to fix Who's the Millennium voiced by Mark Hamill, by the way. Re yeah, I thought this sounded kind of familiar. So yeah. there you go. So he's in there and I'm like, there's my boy Clyde, you know, and then they go to the planet <laughs> and they're celebrating and see through goes cracking his jokes. And then you find out about the Sith cult leader that like kidnapped Ray um, eventually with the dagger. You know, you could see a lot of him. Um, I, I just, I kept thinking throughout this movie. It was like, oh, there's so many different alien species throughout this whole movie. And I love that. Totally agree. This movie is like a visual feast. Uh, you know, speaking, calling out the droids specifically, one of my favorite subtle 
character beats or, or sort of subtle character traits of Ray that really comes to forefront in this movie, but then you realize it's always been there is her compassion for droids. Mm-hmm. Like she cares about droids more than anybody in this series ever has. Like she, she was so caring to BB-8 in the beginning and Force Awakens. And this movie, she fixes up Dio and he's like her new little buddy. I love Dio, how he's yeah. like, no, thank you. No, thank you. He's like, he's a droid with anxiety issues, you know? And I just respect He's that. basically like, I'm not engaged. I'm disengaging. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Ray is the only character in the franchise to genuinely ask C-3PO for his opinion about something. Ooh. Nobody ever cares what C-3PO has to say, even if they like C-3PO, but she... She says to him at one point, like, oh, you know about this stuff better than anybody. What should we do? And he's like taken aback. He's like, somebody actually asked me for my opinion. And it just that, you know, it just extra shows that Ray is just compassionate for droids and she cares about them. And I, I love that little beat for her. So true. Also, I've noticed when going through rewatching these movies for this, I've noticed in every movie, every time Ray sees BB-8 when they've been separated, she always is excited to see him and always checks on his little antenna every That's time. That's right. She's like, a, yeah, she just got to check on her little buddy. Mm-hmm. Also, I love when they fall into the sand pit and uh, Poe's asking everyone's help. Uh, everyone's okay. And then see, there was like, I didn't hear your name here. Ask for my name, sir. But I'm all right. Thank you. <laughs> Dude, I have a declaration of all nine movies in the Skywalker saga. This is the best C-3PO movie. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is delightful in this movie. I just love him. Which is sad because they hardly used him in Force Awakens and in Last Jedi, it feels like, you know? Yeah, but to me, you know, it's all building towards this movie and this mm-hmm. gets to be his moment to shine. Yeah, when he has those moments before his memory gets erased too and they're like, what do you ask what he's doing? He's like, just looking at my friends one last time. And I'm like, my heart, my heart. I know, I know. Also, speaking of my heart, um, when Lando shows up in this movie, my heart, it's like, this is hype moments of Star Wars. <laughs> like La- like Chewie and Lando going and getting excited. And like, everyone's like, oh my God, General Lando Calrissian and C-3PO knows who he is. And when they mention coming back to fi- fight with them and, you know, given regards to Leia, it feels like such a strong callback, which... I was not expecting Lando to show up. I, I mean, Lando's one of my favorite characters in all the movies, but I remember in theaters when they showed up, I was like, fuck, yes. We get to see Billy D. Williams in a Star Wars movie again. Every time I see Lando, I always want to think of this part where he sees Chewbacca, just like he does in this movie. But when he sees Ha, you know, he's like, hey, how you doing, Chewbacca? You still hanging out with this loser? And I'm like, that's it. <laughs> that's how I am going to be with my friends too. Uh, but yeah, I, this movie, it, 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 it brings back old characters while also not sacrificing the bonds that the new characters bring it feels very much a symbiotic relationship of like the old original cast with the new character cast it's very well incorporated in this movie leia has a lot to do with all the characters as well as lando and it kind of gives weight and like time that's passed between the trilogy the sequel trilogy to the original trilogy you know when they're like oh lando like we could really use someone like you right now he's like my time's over you know he was out with luke at one point yeah. I love that little that little moment because I, I want that to get explored in like a comic book or something. Lando and Luke off like Sith artifact hunting. Right. Also the Sith artifact hunting, that is such a prequel pull, I feel like, you know? It feels like the Jedi library reference in a way, you know? Yeah, the sequel trilogy movies have been progressively acknowledging the prequels more because Force Awakens, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Last Jedi, a little bit. Luke sort of talks about the prequels and mm-hmm. this movie is the most um down to like things they talk about and also 
the way that Ray and Kylo jump so high, that's such like a prequel Jedi move, you know? Yes. Yeah, this movie, they feel like at their peak, you know, when they're fighting, like even when like they jump and they land on things, like Ray thumps, like she like lands on that shit. And then Kylo does too. Um, man, the fighting in this movie is so good from blaster fighting scenes. Like, I mean, the, the parts in the, in the, in the sand where they're, you know, they're saying, oh, they can fly now, you know, and they're shooting everything up all the way to late Ray, like slicing up that TIE fighter that Kylo is in. This movie's like action pieces are amazing. I totally agree. And that's why I just, I just can't believe that so many people, just because they don't like Ray's backstory, they, they want to write this movie off entirely because it is a phenomenal action movie. Mm-hmm. The action scenes are incredible down from like the chase scene among the canyons, um, the blaster fights. Like I feel like blasters have never hit harder than mm-hmm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. And there's this incredible shot on whatever Sith uh, first order ship they're on where Ray, sorry, not Ray this time, Poe and Finn are like running towards the camera while the camera's moving yep. with them. And they're just blasting down all these stormtroopers, And it is just epic hero shot moment for yep. both of them. And that lightsaber fight between Ray and Kylo, my God, it's incredible. Yeah. And they're not even like technically fighting. They're like talking while like swinging lightsabers at each other, you know? Oh yeah. That's the one. That's the first one, which is another cool one to call out because they're fighting through the force mm-hmm. while they're like force connect. And guys, another thing, JJ Abrams is carrying forward from last Jedi. Mm-hmm. They still force connect and and, and JJ Abrams even progresses it. He doesn't wreck on it. He takes it further. And now they can fight through the force. It's awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that scene is so great. And it uses, incorporates the red from the last, last Jedi when they hit like the trick to cherries and it's an all white room. And then there's a bunch of red right there, you know? And then that scene is so good. And then you get again, uh, more traits from Kylo from last Jedi, which is kind of mentally manipulating Ray into becoming into the dark side with him. He keeps talking about, I offered my hand out to you. Are you going to take it? I know who you are and stuff like that. Granted, he knows a lot more now, but he's still carrying that same kind of character arc that he had from the last Jedi. Um, it also ha- carries a part from last Jedi that I really like where instead of the canto bite scene um, from last Jedi, instead we go um, to Jinnaba, I think is the, the planet. We're we're posing like, your word for it. Yeah, I think it's Jinnaba and then Poe's like, I know someone who can tra- like break apart C3PO's brain, basically. That feels like a canto bites moment where it's like the original plan doesn't work. Now we're gonna do a mini, you know, detour to another planet, meet new characters. And oh, get- we're talking about Kijimi. Kijimi, sorry. Okay, cool. No, no worries. That but that feels like a canto bite kind of thing where we get introduced to new characters, smaller characters. Um, and seeing a different planet and seeing how the first order is kind of taking over this planet. And we learn more about the characters as well. We learn about um, Rose at Canto Bite and kind of like what the world of the Star Wars universe is with this war going on. And in this one, we learn more about Poe and what his life was before the, um, the resistance war. And we get to meet instead of, you know, Benito, we get to learn about um, Babu Frick and his crew. And in this movie, you know, like I like these, like it draws a lot of comparisons with the last movie, but it, it makes it more fun and you get to see a lot more, which I think is great. I think it embraces that kind of like sidetracking um, planet exploration that I really like. 
Yeah, man. I love Kijimi. I love that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. I love how it doesn't look like any other planet we've ever been to because it's snowy, but it's not like Hoth. It just looks mm-hmm. like a cold place to live, but it looks more urban. I love um, Zori Bliss, mm-hmm. who's played by Carrie Russell. I was shocked to see that Carrie Russell never takes her helmet off in the movie. She, she could doesn't. literally ruin my life. <laughs> and I would and I would run so much spice. I wouldn't care. <laughs> Which, by the way, spice, drugs, right? Well, no, it's the stuff that makes intergalactic travel happen. That's why um, House of Trades about- <laughs> with, you know, Poe obviously wants to run the spice. And this movie is in the same universe as Dune, I feel like, in some Confirmed, aspect. confirmed. <laughs> we just don't get to see Oscar Isaac naked in this one. That's true. That was a real loss. Yeah, yeah. I would say. And, you, and hey, Dune did that on a PG-13. The internet, rating. the internet will like blow its brains open once we see uh, a nude scene with full frontal with Oscar Isaac. I'm <laughs> It'll be like if we could see like Mads Mikkelsen and full frontal, you know? Oh, I feel like he's probably definitely done that. I'm like he's done so many art house movies. There's no way. He I got, I got a, I got a Google another star okay. Wars well, alum you, because bad Mabel said was a rogue one. Uh, while you, <laughs> that's true. All right. While you Google that, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Kijimi. Um, we get to see Babu Frick, man. And <laughs> never, never underestimate the power of a cute star Wars character. Sure. Babu Frick, adorable. Dude, he literally carries this movie some parts for me. <laughs> like literally moments that don't need to have Babu Freak. Babu Freak just kind of elevates those scenes even more. Like, I don't know half the shit he's saying, but when no. he's talking, I'm like, he's speaking my language, but brother, like I love Babu Freak, man. <laughs> I love it when C-3PO, you know, pops back up after he's lost his memory, which by the way, I mean, I, I the reason that he's lost his memory is because he needs to translate a Sith dagger and he literally, he knows exactly what it says, but he cannot say it because it goes against his programming to translate Sith, which is hilarious. But they have to like wipe his memory in order to get him to translate it. And when he pops back up, he introduces himself and they don't introduce themselves back. So they're like, oh no, this is going to be a problem. But Babu Frick says, introduces himself. And C3 was like, well, hello. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> but Babu, Babu Frick, uh, memory gone. <laughs> I just, oh man, Babu Freak is literally, he's one of those goaded characters. I said it after the first time watching. I was like, he's just one of the goaded few of Star Wars. You know, he's up there, like he's, he's elevated more than Porgs, you know, he's, he's up there with like the baby Yoda, like tier of like Star Wars, you know, just like kind of untouchable. And, and luckily you do get a shot of Porgs in this movie too. That one scene with Porgs. And I, you know me, when I see those Porgs, I'm like, oh. <gasps> Ah, you see, this is why why Disney sells these cute like alien creatures. It's for people like me to be adult, using adult money to buy that shit. Ah, geez. And you should, and you should. And it's, you know, it's, it's traditional. Uh, Cute characters have always been a part of Star Wars. It's an, it's important. And I think Mm -hmm. we should never overlook that. And we also get Ewoks in this movie too. They don't look as cute as Return of the Jedi, but we still get Ewoks. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is also very horny. Wait to talk about cute little things, and then now we're talking about the horniness of this movie. Yeah, Poe is literally just trying to get a bone off. Like he's trying to get, he's trying to like, you know, reignite an old flame. You know, uh, I love that small little moments with him and Finn kind of being oddly concerned with him being a spice runner and knowing about <laughs> how to hack things. I'm like, bro, are you a little jealous? Because Poe also is a little jealous of Finn and Ray throughout this movie. Oh, he is. He's like, oh, you, oh you, you're going to tell him once Poe leaves? By the way, isn't it strange that he says, Ray, I have to tell you something? And that never gets addressed. 
Yeah. And I think, it, I think, it, dude, okay, fuck. We did not talk about this. Do you remember the discourse of Twitter when this movie came out where people were asking questions to JJ and JJ would constantly have stories on screen rant about yeah. what these moments meant and stuff. You basically got to find out the back scenes of this movie through Twitter um, and editorials, which is annoying as fuck. But yeah, I remember that being one of the things I think people said, oh, he's going to say, I love you, Ray. But I think JJ said like he wanted to tell Ray about how he's force sensitive or he's having feelings with the force. That's what JJ Abrams says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never addressed in the movie. So I guess, you, you know, you can make a pet cannon if you want to, but that's, that's what JJ Abrams says. And that's what I choose to believe. That's how I take it. Yeah. It's just, we, I, I, I'm, man, now thinking about the Twitter discourse about that whole thing. Oh, it was so annoying. Like every other week, it was a different leak from screen rant or IndieWire about what this scene meant in rise of Skywalker. And then it's like, Oh, well, I just got to read these articles now. You know, it's funny. I I didn't actually tell the whole truth. I didn't just leave Twitter over this movie. I also left it because the argument scene for marriage story was going around Mm -hmm. and people were watching it without watching the movie. And we're all talking about how bad the acting was. Oh my God. And like marriage story meant so much to me emotionally when I watched it. And I was like, I can't, I cannot look at this. It's too upsetting. I am out. Yeah. Talk about a movie. I mean, that's what happens. You put a movie on Netflix. People are going to just like shit on it for no reason without even actually watching the movie. Maybe that's what's going on with the Dwayne, the rock Johnson movie. Um, with Gal I mean, let's, let's not compare red notice to marriage story, <laughs> right? Even though they're probably going to get the same amount of Oscar nominations. You're kidding. You're kidding no, I'm me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, I am kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, there's the part where the rock and Gal Gadot kiss and it looks like they're like strangers at an office Christmas party who found themselves under the mistletoe and everyone forced them to kiss. Like that's literally what it looks like. It's like, no one really wants to kiss the rock. <laughs> like he just feels so chiseled. He has, he is a dad. He, uh, he, the only thing the rock should ever play at this point in his career are dads because mm-hmm. he has no sexiness at all. He should just, he, he needs to be telling people to go clean their room. He should not be kissing anybody. Yeah. yeah he should really embrace like the asexual comedy actor, <laughs> like John With Cena. Kevin Hart. Yeah. Kevin Hart and John hey, Cena. John Cena is like sneakily becoming one of my favorite comedic actors. Oh my right God. Now. Like, that guy stars in a comedy. I watch it and he's brilliant. Like I can't, I cannot explain that how brilliant he is. Like I, I don't understand how it's possible, but he kind of is. Bruh, just admit you like watching WWE wrestler wrestling. It's okay. I don't. That's the thing. <laughs> I have no wrestling knowledge of John Cena. My gosh, I am just like shooting myself in the foot repeatedly. I will not stop shooting myself in the foot. Everyone mm. thinks my opinions are terrible. Now. <laughs> uh let's see where should we get to from here after the greatness of babu frick um so like you get a bunch of like really fun moments this movie has this movie balances the comedy really well the fun action as well and on top of that the drama and like the the final reveal i remember seeing tv spots and trailers for this movie but like we find out who ray finally is throughout this movie and when it's revealed it's such a cool scene. I remember saying like, look at all these stormtroopers uh, um, just in like this uh, first order ship, just kind of like taking a front seat and watching Kylo talk to Ray in the hangar about who she is. You know, it's like a weird scene, but it's like very dramatic. Um, and I couldn't believe it at first, like the reveal that Ray is Palpatine's granddaughter. It was just such a surreal moment. It's so weird in high, like re- revisiting it, like trying to think back where I was and how that came to, but I'm like, no way. That feels like such a pull out of nowhere. And uh, I, I kind of like it because 
earlier in the movie kind of gives like little breadcrumbs to that really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, you know, when I first saw it, I didn't love it. I was pretty taken off off guard. I was like, what? Uh, okay, all right. Um, I, I've come to like it a lot more. It's sort of one of those, you know, I, uh, I said in the last episode that every time I watch one of these sequel movies for this podcast, I proceed it with the original trilogy corresponding movie. Sure, sure. So I did that this time. I rewatched Return of the Jedi and then I watched Rise of Skywalker and it was by far the most interesting comparison of the three. And one thing I, I kind of marveled at is, oh, Rise of, oh, sorry, I'm getting that mixed up. Return of the Jedi kind of out of nowhere reveals that Luke and Leia are siblings. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about it is it doesn't mean very much in the movie. It doesn't really change anything, but it has come to mean so much in the series. And I actually think Return of the Jedi is a lot better movie with the prequels in mind. Like the more I think about the prequels while I watch it, the more I appreciate and love Return of the Jedi. But um, so this movie kind of does the similar thing where it takes, it reveals a family connection kind of out of nowhere. and uh but it's again a thing where like it's starting to become more meaningful to me with time and now like in my head it's just like ray palpatine now i just think of ray as a palpatine and and i don't think so much anymore about how weird it was opening night or how maybe it possibly retcons last jedi i don't think it retcons last jedi it it is weird it's a weird comparison to compare the two kylo ren revealing her backstory (laughs) scenes but um i just think of it when Kylo says, I never lied to you, your parents were nobody, they chose to be. I just think about the line in Return of the Jedi when Obi-Wan says, I did tell you the truth from a certain point of view. Mm-hmm. That's such mm-hmm. a big thing in Star Wars, you know, looking at things from a certain point of view. And that's that's just kind of how I think about it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't, and it's a weird dynamic. We've never been in a situation where there's two similar aged force users that are like the last you know that are also like symbiotic in a way you know having to deal with old evil and i actually think their there's their connection their dyad in the force their symbiotic relationship Mm -hmm. it's maybe deepened by the fact that ray is a palpatine now this is going to get this is going to get really nerdy some warning so go with me on this so Mm -hmm. this is not officially canon i acknowledge that but there is an extended universe novel about darth plagueis um in which it is revealed that Plagueis and Palpatine created the immaculate conception that birthed Anakin Skywalker. Um, (laughs) It is canon in Phantom Menace that there is, Anakin Skywalker does not have a father. Um, It was an immaculate conception, which a lot of people think is really silly, but silly or not, it's canon. So we have to acknowledge it. If we sort of take, if we sort of take that idea from that extended universe novel, then the Palpatine and Skywalker bloodlines are literally linked, not related, but linked in a way that it would sort of make even more sense for them to be, have this bizarre connection. Mm, that's such a pull. It's really nerdy. I know. <laughs> it makes it work. Cause it doesn't ever really feel like Kylo is out to get Ray to join him to be with Palpatine, you know, not to be with Palpatine. I, I still think Kylo is romantically into Ray. And I think like he wants, he wants them to be together. And that's his motivation in this movie. Yeah. Instead of we'll rule the galaxy as father and son, we'll rule the galaxy side by side, you know, as like, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend who like, like, it be like, cra- like each other. Wouldn't it be crazy if we like accidentally kissed in front of my grandfather's helmet? 
<laughs> you know like, would it be crazy if we like kissed right after killing your grandfather <laughs> also this movie um basically means that palpatine fucked at some point yeah you know which at first i thought that's weird but then i remembered well donald trump has children so uh, if someone will fuck him someone will fuck palpatine i literally googled did palpatine have sex i put on <laughs> private mode just you know, to cover up my trail, but uh, I did Google. And then that. you accidentally clicked on the videos tab on Google and you instantly regretted it. <laughs> and then I heard George Michaels whisper, whatever in the wind play in the background. I'm like, what video is this? This is the weird star Wars movie that people keep talking about. This um, is that's the Colin Trevorrow cut. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, it drives me crazy when people talk about the reveals about the Colin Trevorrow script and say, this would have been so much better guys. A script is not a movie. You have no idea how that script would have been realized on screen. Stop comparing a real movie to a fake movie in your head. And like some of the things in the screenplay that was announced, it sounded incredibly stupid. Like no offense. I mean, maybe. I mean, some things sounded cool, to be honest. But again, a, a screenplay is not a movie. Things get changed all the time. You have no idea what, how this stuff would have looked. This, you just don't know. Yeah, this movie, for the people who don't like it, it feels like such a reach for a lot of people like who don't like this movie. Like, they're really, like, you're down bad. Like, you really are lifting every stone and not leaving them unturned. Like, you really are looking out for something, you know? It's weird. It's like, you have nothing better to do than, like, poke holes, you know? One thing in this movie, besides the Rose thing, Rose thing that feels like a, like people saying, like, oh, this movie retcon, JJ doesn't like Ryan Johnson. He has to pick up the, the, the pieces of the disaster that was Last Jedi. The one that I also see a lot of callbacks to is when Luke catches his lightsaber when Ray throws it and he goes, that's no way to treat a Jedi's weapon, you know? And people are like, oh, there's Luke, you know, saying like he hated how the Mark Hamill, the actor, hated how they had to make him throw the lightsaber behind him and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh my God, do you not know character development? <laughs> exactly. These people are dead wrong because <sighs> it, character, character arcs are a thing, folks. Luke goes through a character arc in The Last Jedi, and he is not the same at the end of that movie that he is at the beginning. And to me, Luke in this movie is a perfect continuation from who he becomes by the end of The Last Jedi. Um, no, it's not the same Luke from the beginning of The Last Jedi, but it's the same as the end because he says, I will not be The Last Jedi. Yoda truth bombed him and gave him so much wisdom. And he's like, ah, I've been wrong. I'm wrong. I need to go fix this. And yeah, like he's now dead now. He's one with the force. He's, he's, a, he's not the cranky cantankerous old man anymore because he went through development. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, the one part that had people creaming um, in the trailer, for some reason, the fascination is making Ray either die or become bad is what a lot of people <laughs> who don't like these movies are, is what they want to fix these movies because we get the dark, the dark Ray reveal that was in yeah. the trailer. And it's a weird scene. But like, it's so quick, it, you know, it's like, you really want to base everything you don't like about a movie on this one small moment in a movie. Um, I will say though, the reveal from the characters who were leaving the first order with Finn, I think chef's kiss, that's great, great world building to, and also character building to Finn's character. Also, I love that planet um, with the, with the water and like the old throne room scene where Kylo and Ray are facing each other there. This whole yeah. scene on this planet, there's no weak scenes at all. You even get Finn and Poe beefing at one point. Um, 
like it's it's just all good stuff here um but yeah the dark ray part is the thing that stands out a lot to me because it's never really visited again but it, it's like one of those moments that people call to and go like you see this is what they meant to do but they didn't want to do it or something like that well i mean to me it, it's just a force vision mm-hmm. and it's a vision of who ray is afraid she's going to become because she just found out about her palpatine lineage um you know, this this movie, it basically puts the most difficult thing on Ray, where she's had so much family baggage through this series. And this movie reveals to her, well, here's here's your family that you've been so concerned about finding out about. And it turns out it's the worst possible thing. And it's it makes, you know, it gives her just extra struggle. And it's great to give a protagonist struggle. Um, and that's just who she's afraid that she's going to become. Uh, that's like her greatest fear is that she's going to become some kind of Sith evil person. Um, I will say, you know, they give Ray and that little vision a double-ended lightsaber. I do think it was a missed opportunity to not give Ray a double-ended lightsaber in this movie mm-hmm. because she's so awesome with a staff. Yeah. In like Force Awakens and like double lightsaber, it's a lightsaber staff. And she could have been the first um hero to have a double-ended lightsaber. I think I think there is some kind of lore that I'm not totally familiar with that double-ended lightsabers are an exclusively Sith thing. So if that if that's the case, I'm speaking out of turn, I apologize, but I do think it would have been really cool for her to have that. Yeah, I think it tech, oh man, I'm gonna get nerdy. I think actually, while I put my virgin glasses on, the double blade yellow lightsaber specifically that she has is more in tune with being guardians of the Jedi. So like guardians of like, like basically the fuzz of like the Jedi temple, the Jedi council, you know, they were like the people who defended them. Um, That's awesome. But it's not double bladed though at the end. It's no, just but the yellow lightsaber. Yeah. The yellow yeah. color is symbiotic to that being like a guardian, a defender in a way. And then the That's double awesome. blade is like what the, I think like this, the, the defenders of like, um, the Jedi temple would be. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, that's really nerdy. I'm embarrassed to know that. <laughs> no, man, we're we're getting nerdy on this podcast. I love it. This is a nerdy movie. It really is. Right? The scene with Kylo and Ray looking at each other at a slanted fallen death star and you hear the bomb 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 and like dying away theme that's playing when they're there. I think that scene is so cool. It's just such a callback to the trilogy and like an iconic score for the bad guys, but like it's a good and bad person there. And like we just saw the hero have like a dark, like a dark vision. It just, it feels like you don't know what's really going to happen. And then the movie oddly has like no music throughout the rest of that, where just conversation, lightsaber fighting. And then it's like, I mean, when Kylo and Ray are fighting in the, in the rain and the waves hitting them, I honestly, in the theaters, didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. And it's also one of the coolest scenes throughout the whole trilogy. It's such a cool Star Wars, like, lightsaber fight. When you think about all lightsaber fights, they show powers we haven't seen. This movie does a good job of showing different powers that Rey has, like, from her Force Lightning. Both of them having the Force Grasp. Um, The Force Healing is brought in this movie. Um, Giant jumping leaps, like you said, that we haven't seen since, like, the prequel movies. Like, this fight has kind of all of that encompassed at once. I love it so much. Two things that I love about this fight. One, I love that there are a couple times towards the end of the fight where they pause to take a breath. <laughs> They're both just like, I'm tired. This fight is brutal. Um, I, I love that. I love that at the end, this fight ends with Ray. The one time that Ray lets 
her Palpatine lineage really come out and she mm-hmm. really lets the rage come forth. It's sort of the version of like uh, Luke chopping off Vader's hand. Yeah. Um, but you know, what does Luke do after he chops off Vader's hand? He decides, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to win through compassion. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Ray does is that I, I feel like Ray's main superpower is compassion. And I think that's true for Luke in return of the Jedi as well, um, where she heals him. Like he's, at this point, he is a horrible person. He is not good at all. He kills people. He's horrible. But she doesn't allow, let him die. Like she heals him and then she just leaves him be. And I love that that, that sort of compassion that she shows him, even though he doesn't deserve it, is the thing first thing that really kicks off his um, his turn. But then, And then after that, it's the love of his parents. It's Leia connecting with him in her final moments. And man, Han showing up. Yeah, not a, not a moment I expected in this movie, but just when you hear the hey kid, it just chills. And it really, like, you, because, like, you always wondered if Kylo was going to go back to being Ben Solo. And when it does start to happen, it, like you said, you said earlier in the movie, feels pulpy. These moments feel like surreal and pulpy, and like anything is possible right now in this movie. And it's so great. Like, every actor, delivers moments that are dramatic very well and sentimentally like they actually feel like like Harrison Ford talking to um Adam driving this movie feels like there's a lot of weight you know like there's um there's some meaning behind it all and uh, I really enjoy those and you can tell parts in this movie where you know it's more than just acting you know from an actor it's like they're kind of invested in it and this movie really does that well um and I love the part where Kylo you get the the opposite effect from force awakens where he looks at his lightsaber and he just chucks it you know love that moment i do too i i love the han scene but let me ask you in the theater before they turn the camera and reveal it's harrison ford were you hoping it was going to be hayden christensen as anakin i never even thought that but that would have been fucking wild that was my first guess before they turned the camera actually I, you know, man, there needs to be more Haiti Christensen in these sequel trilogy movies. There really should have been more. He's going to be in the Obi-Wan series and the Ahsoka series, apparently. That'll be good because like, he's too good of an actor who portrayed Anakin to like not be in more things except the prequel movies. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it would have been cool if it was Hayden because you know, he, he's been evil so much because of his connection he feels to his grandfather. But it's really interesting. And I thought about this during Force Awakens. In Force Awakens, it seems clear that he is communicating with his grandfather, Darth Vader, some way. Mm-hmm. But I thought, how well, that doesn't make sense because Darth Vader does not exist anymore. Like the only Force ghost is Anakin Skywalker. There is right. no Darth Vader anymore. Mm-hmm. And then at the beginning of this movie, they realized that that has been Palpatine all the time. Palpatine is the Darth Vader voice in his head, which just makes Palpatine like extra horrible that he's mm-hmm. manipulating this guy by using his family. But um, I thought it would have been interesting if, if it was like Anakin and was like, you know, I'm your real grandfather and I fucked up. I don't want you to go the same path. But it, it really was really meaningful having it be his father. So mm-hmm. I still love that. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just like Ben's kind of him by himself now, you know, like he has like his parents, like, you know, to see him in his mind and stuff, be his conscious. But you kind of feel for him now because he truly is all alone. This character who like, was so desperate to alienate himself from his past and the people who cared about him most. Now that he's kind of gotten that he really was like all talk and no action in a way, you know, mm-hmm. and you never really I hear get, you. And it, it is very much homage to Anakin in a way 
killing Padme, you know, pushing Obi-Wan away from him, killing people who believed in him. Um, and it's kind of like a poetry in a way. It rhymes. <laughs> That's what George Lucas always says. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then after that, you get the, um, you know, Ray takes Kylo's ship and starts to, you know, head towards um, Exegol. And then you get Poe and everyone talking about running everyone up and getting the galaxy together, more or less what didn't happen at the Battle of Crate. One part in that movie that kind of feels weird is the part where the character goes, we need to do some Haldo maneuvers, you know, and do some real damage. I'm kind of like, okay, uh, this is a weird dialogue segment. And then Finn goes, oh, come on. That's one move in a million. I and like I'm, it. <laughs> I like that part where he goes, it's a one move in a million because it makes it, you know, the Haldo maneuver more iconic in a way, which it is an iconic moment in Star Wars. Um, I also kept thinking with that guy when he said we need to do more Haldo maneuvers. I'm like, are you suggesting that people be suicide bombers? <laughs> this guy, like, this did, guy. like I know Shut you, like I know you were in the Lord of the Rings and I loved your character in that, but it's like <laughs> that's a weird like outburst to say, especially with Nidna being right here in Lando. Like I don't want these two boys who saved the Rebel Alliance in Episode Six to want to be Haldo maneuverist. <laughs> That's such a good point. I never thought about that. Yeah. But again, like for everybody that thinks this movie retcons The Last Jedi, they're acknowledging the Holdo maneuvers. It's very much a continuation. That space battle scene and like the dropping of troops on a Star Destroyer. Talk about- It's spectacular. Talk about epic battles, man. Like that stuff is great. Like every moment is like super cool. You see people dying, even here, like minor characters you have- I swear, dude, these sequel movies, anytime you watch a sequel movie, you be, you're unintentionally attached to minor side characters. So when they do die, you're like, oh no, like my heart goes out to them. You know, like the fat yeah. guy from Heroes, like he dies and he's been like in all three of these movies. And like, he has that one moment with uh, Leia where he's, she's like, can you be a little bit more positive? And he's like, oh yeah, things are going really great right now. Like, I cannot be more ecstatic about it. He dies in this battle. Um, yeah, and I really fell in love with that character through a book. I think the book is called like Rise of the Resistance. It takes place between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. And he's delightful in that really? book. So it is sad that he dies, yeah. I've always only known him from the show Heroes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then you get parts where, you know, throughout that battle like everything seems hopeless you're going against like i remember when as soon as they show up on exical all these like starters are blowing up the, the the resistance and i'm like oh my god like how's everyone going to survive and then you get the reveal that everyone is coming to help them and then you even see wedge show up from episode four like yeah like, oh yeah my that god. was great yeah but i mean obviously the best iconic moment was when babu freak shows up and goes like hey <laughs> There's no reason for him to be there, but I'm so glad he was there. Honestly, he helped turn the tide. Like his did, presence there. Yeah. Um, that whole scene is so great when uh, Poe is like, you know, this is it. This is the end. And, uh, and Lando says, but there are more of us. Again, that's another, just another thing where I think this movie builds on Last Jedi kind of beautifully. And that Luke sacrifices himself at the end of Last Jedi. One, so that all the resistance crew can get away um, to stall the first order but two to spark the hope that's going to light up the galaxy and mm -hmm. defeat the first order they're very clear about that and this is the, this is where that ends up where the spark of hope spread through the whole galaxy that luke skywalker kicked off 
And now everyone is there to help. And I love the line when I think it's general pride says like, what, they don't have a Navy. And another officer says, that's not a Navy. It's just people. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this scene so beautiful to me that like just people are all coming together to fight for their galaxy against these horrible, horrible, evil people. And mm-hmm. I just think it's so beautiful. Yeah. And I love how Poe goes, hey, knock out those cannons. Every cannon gone is one planet saved. That's right. And I'm the like, Sith fleet is pretty, pretty cool, by the way. Yeah. They, uh, they have plan. Everyone has planet killing, destroying capabilities. And Poe goes, of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good alternative to like another Death Star, you know? Seriously. They didn't just do another Death Star. This, the, the Sith fleet. That's awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, uh, this, so Return of the Jedi, I love, to me, I love the the space battle scenes. You get Nidnub and you get Lando, you know, in space, you know, trying to destroy the new Death Star, which looks like it's not operational. And Palpatine reveals that it is operational, you know, what he's basically just kind of like telling his plane to loot. Well, in, in comparison, they're out there, you know, doing the battle fights and then it goes to the Endor uh, on planet scenes. In this movie, you get only two. You get the space battle scenes, which are great. Well, you get three. You get the space battles. Then you get Finn basically sacrificing himself, um, which I think those scenes are all epic. And you even see Rose get a blaster and do some damage. And um, ride on a horse. Yeah. Dude, that stuff is great. Um, and then you get Ray and Ben coming. Like when Ben shows up and he starts fighting like the Knights of Ren and Ray is being told by Palpatine what's going to happen. Dude, like they're just like you really don't know what's gonna happen with this stuff. And it, it's weird because it balances like the dread with the comedy really well because we don't get to see Kylo Ren. We don't get to see Adam Driver be this Ben Solo character that feels like a, a younger kind of Han in a way, you know? And it's just so great. Like seeing Ben Solo, you know, do the things he does. It just it's just like a a a, a breath of relief. It's like a sigh of relief, you know? It's like, oh, we get to see him be good, you know? Yeah, I I love it so much. I love the moment when Ray puts when I well, first of all, to backtrack, I love the moment where they acknowledge each other mm-hmm. and you just see their faces and you know that they're feeling each other. Uh, Daisy Ridley, she has such a good almost crying face. <laughs> She's or she is so great in this movie, like phenomenal. Um, but I love when they feel each other and she puts her lightsaber behind her head and it's gone and <laughs> Kylo pulls it out. It, that was like a theater cheering moment when I saw this opening night. And Ben is just awesome when he launches into action against the Knights of Ren. It's so cool. Um, and it's a blast really well think- too. Oh, hell yeah. And he shoots a guy without even looking. <laughs> yeah, he feels such like a, Han in that moment. Yeah, such a Han call. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's weird that he never actually has a line of dialogue as Ben. Well, I think that's kind of like the the opposite effect of Kylo and, Ren, and, and Ben, where Ben maybe is more stoic or just like shy, you know, it, it just very comfortable with skin, doesn't feel like he has to say much. But Kylo, he's constantly talking. He's constantly manipulating. Maybe like, you know, he has to come out of his shell to be bad. He's to speak up more, you know? That's how I kind of always took it. I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in this movie, where you think about it, like, okay, so we talk about like Anakin, Darth Vader. Darth Vader is very cold in his delivery, you know, like there's, it's just mm-hmm. very small talk, only breathing. Um, where Anakin was always talking and, and you know, joking around and stuff like that and being very emotional. And it is Darth Vader, he really never displays that right until the end of his death, you know? So it's kind of like that in a way for me. 
I think that's fair. I didn't really have a theory about it. I just want to ask. And I think that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, man. Like I, 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 I would have loved seeing Ben and, and Ray fight, you know, Palpatine, but obviously man, Palpatine's weird in the, in the final act. I think it's really funny that like his thing was to get Ray to join, like basically a, a soul for a soul in a way. And you get the really creepy chance in a way from like the Sith behind him which it adds just more to like the legend of Darth Sidious. Um, but then once he like has both of them together and he sucks some energy and it's like, oh, I get to like grow more. I'm like, can he pull out a lightsaber and detach from this thing and like fight him? That would be cool. But then at the same time, him basically just sucking their life and like saying like, oh shit, like I'm going to be alive now. Never mind. Like I love how he <laughs> changes his plan just like that. Cause it shows the it follies does. of his character in a way too, you know? His plan is super adaptable in this mm-hmm. movie. And it's the same thing, like kind of like in Return of the Jedi where he's just kind of like, kind of playing along how things go, you know? Like he's very much like, oh, kill me, kill me. But then he's like, you know what? I'm just going to kill Luke Skywalker myself, you know? It's just, he's, yeah, he's very much always been that kind of character. Um, but I, I, dude, I don't know what it is about this scene, but the scene where he is telling Ray he, she's going to be sitting on the throne, like he's like, you will take the throne, like a weird line delivery. And then it wides out and you see him attach it on the cranium of this thing, just <laughs> yeah. like itching torture. And it's so creepy and weird for a Star Wars moment. Yeah. Oh, God. Like it's just, it's just like, it's just like out of a horror movie in a weird way for me. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. They really treat Palpatine like he's Dracula or the devil or something. Mm-hmm. It's so it's yeah, it's just I keep using the word pulpy, but it just really is. This okay. But, he's a black. Dude, Sorry, go ahead. I, I I mean, when he pushes Ben away, like basically like, all right, you're gone. And then like mm-hmm. basically kicks the shit out of Ray. And she's like looking up at the stars. Oh my God. Like talk about a moment for the entire franchise. Like the moments where she like sees her friends kind of about to die. And then she sees, she looks past that and sees the stars. And then you hear all the dialogue. Oh my God. Like that move, that moment hits so much for me. Like, I think it's one of the coolest moments in all this movie. Um, I agree. And, and, you know, I think some people don't like the fact that star Wars is really about destiny but it is. Um, and this movie pretty much makes it clear the fact that Ray's destiny is evil uh, because she's a Palpatine. Right. And, um, and I love just her rejection of that. And that like at the end, in the end, she connects to all the Jedi of the past, the Jedi that we have loved through all eight of these movies preceding this. And we hear Ewan McGregor's voice and Liam Neeson's voice and Yoda and Mark Hamill. Dude, Hayden Christensen and me. Um, Hayden Christensen. How could I? How could I forget? Just <laughs> connecting to all of them and and using all their power to rise up and defeat Palpatine. It's beautiful, man. Like I just, I, I kind of couldn't be happier with it. And what's great about it too? Again, for, outside of any other Star Wars movie, this movie acknowledges the prequels so much, but also like the Clone Wars animated show and the Star Wars Rebels show as well. That's um, true because you hear Ahsoka and I think you hear Ezra Bridger as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you hear um, Kanan as well, who was in Rebels as well. Uh, I love Kanan. Who's Freddie played Prince by, Jr. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that My crazy? Freddie Prince Jr. did a Star Wars thing. Isn't that crazy? He's good too. Rebels is a blast. I really like it. I wonder if they would ever adapt the Rebels show into a live action. Well, okay. It's funny that you say oh, that. Oh, no. <laughs> because in the Ahsoka series coming out next uh, 
next next year. I'm not sure if it's 100%. No, it is actually, you know what it is. It is confirmed that Ezra Bridger is going to be in it, who's the main young yep, Jedi yep. from Rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, and they pretty much just revealed that Sabine is going to be, oh. Sabine Wren is going to be in it too. And she is the Mandalorian character from that show. So, it, you know, it's an Ahsoka series, but it's kind of doubling as a live action Rebels follow-up too. And that's so cool. I mean, I couldn't be more excited. It's weird in Rebels where Ezra has like that blaster lightsaber handle. It's never really introduced again outside of that show. I mean, yeah, that, that's that show introduces a lot of things that obviously don't go forward in the original trilogy because mm-hmm. the original trilogy was made in the 70s and the 80s. But um, I'm excited to see them uh, them follow it up for yeah. sure. Not to like get off of topic that, but one thing I loved about Clone Wars and Rebels is the... It's weird how in fandom and like, you know, nerd culture like this, where basically like lesser, uh, lesser mediums, like outside of movies, I'll, I'll just say, where characters take on their own and then become embedded in that main culture. So like Ahsoka, the character really did get introduced to the Clone Wars and late in the Clone Wars movie show. And then you get her in the Rebel show and Ezra and, and Kanan become so symbiotic to the Star Wars world as well. Um, you know, just based off like the side shows, you know, and it gets incorporated now in the main shows, like like the Mandalorian, and then with Rise of Skywalker acknowledges that very heavily. I think that's really cool. I don't, you wouldn't get that like in the early two thousands. You would have got the two, that really odd um, animated show, which I really like. Don't get me wrong, but like that odd like Clone Wars show we got in the early two thousands. Do you remember that? Yes, but I actually haven't seen it, but it recently went on Disney Plus, so I've been meaning to check it out. Uh, that one did a really good job of like introducing like Captain Rex and the other um, General Co- Commander Cody. It really goes into those characters more. And um, uh, Asajj Ventress, who was Count Dooku's um, yeah. apprentice. Yeah, I mean, that that stuff, that's, I mean, that's a big reason that I love Star Wars so much. And and I know, you know, Star Wars is a thing where you can just watch the movies or you can just watch a few of the movies, whatever, and, and still be a Star Wars fan, still enjoy it. But if you want to, I mean, there's so much to explore and there's so much that they deepen through shows and books and comic books. And it's there if you want it. And that's why I... I, I just have no sympathy or for people that complain when something in a Star Wars movie isn't fully explored, like <laughs> the Knights of Ren. How come we didn't get more of the Knights of Ren? And I'm like, guys, like, just wait, there's gonna be a book, there's gonna be a comic book, an animated series, a Disney Plus series. Like <laughs> Star Wars is always doing this. It's like introducing things and just letting them sit in the background and then it explores them further in other mediums or maybe even in future movies. And, uh, you know, you can care about that or you cannot, but uh, I, I just think it makes Star Wars all the more fun. Yeah, I've, I, I look at the Knights of Ren as something like the Inquisitors, you know, like they're just kind of like these side characters that kind of personify themselves individually, maybe like you said, as time goes by in other mediums. Um, but yeah, going back to Rey and the Jedi speaking to her, I think that's such a cool scene. And I even, I Googled like exactly who, who speaks during that. Um, and once... Uh, Sidious is destroyed finally, which is a very cool like destruction of the double lightsabers going. It's Luke and Leia's lightsabers, kind of the Skywalkers defeating Palpatine again with the help of a Palpatine, which is really cool to think about. Um, but then the ending with Ben showing back up and you know, kind of doing the power that Ray showed him to save her. I think that's kind of cool because Kylo really doesn't display any sort of like force abilities. I'll say like some sort of like force choke and like this brain manipulation. Well, those are the, those are the standard force powers, but you know, 
I like that these sequel trilogy movies explore more force powers because every original trilogy movie adds more force powers. Mm -hmm. You know, something that I didn't realize until recent years is in A New Hope, the original Star Wars movie, there is no the force moving anything. You, that nobody moves anything mm -hmm. with their mind with the force mm -hmm. that's introduced in empire strikes back so mm -hmm. you know it's important for movies to introduce more force powers and 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 do you remember how force healing was actually in no i guess you don't remember this because you didn't watch it at the time but force healing was actually introduced in the mandalorian episode that came out the week before rise of skywalker was released and i wonder if they sort of planned that and that like we're gonna see the force healing here so hopefully you won't be mad about it when Ray does it because everybody gets more mad at about Ray doing things than anybody else. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a good point, huh? I always knew that force healing was a thing for individual Jedi because like you play the video games and you know the stuff like they can just like heal themselves in some aspect. That's a that's like not stuff that's super reliable source material. So yeah, to see her give up and when she explains it, I give some of my force energy to this thing. And that's pretty cool. Um, man, but when Ben does it to, to Ray, I mean, Ray is like beat to hell up up to this point. And even at the end of the movie, she looks like she's gone through hell and back. She's um, dead, dead. <laughs> like she's literally dead. And then, you know, Kai, uh, Ben Solo, the simp that he is, gives up his life force to Ray. And I'm like, bruh, you're taking an L right now. How down bad are you? <laughs> because I, he believes she deserves to live more than he does. Mm -hmm. I think that's why he does it. Do you think it has anything to do with like the Skywalker lineage? Like we've done it. Like people say like the Skywalkers have done enough damage to the universe. Like it's time for them to go on. No, I don't think that's the opinion of this movie because Ray ends up taking on the Skywalker mantle, almost like Skywalker has become like a title or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think he heals her because he has so much respect for her and he, um, believes that she is deserve she's more deserving of life than he is because of how he chose to spend his life um but i i mean i i do think he loves her like i said like i do think there's romantic feelings between kylo and ray and i do think he does it out of love um how do you feel about the fact that they kiss dude it pains me like physically pains me to hear kissless virgins complain about the kissing <laughs> and romance of this scene like the guys I thought who, you were going in a different way. The, the mans who are like, oh my God, why do they kiss? It doesn't fit. Why are they pushing this Raylo? I'm like, dude, you're literally playing, you're on rewatch the Star Wars Old Republic trailer wishing that was your Star Wars in your mother's basement. Like, I don't want to hear your criticisms of romance. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Um, I mean, I... I'm a bit of a romantic. I like romantic in movie. I like romance in movies. I like romantic music, you know, so that just kind of works for me. I am a sucker for beauty and the beast stories. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what this is. Like I'm a sucker for like gruff, angry guy with a heart of gold is like softened by a woman, I guess. Um, I love beauty and the beast. And then this isn't quite, this isn't quite Beauty and the Beast because the Beast is like gruff and angry and everything, but he's not a mass murdering global uh, galactic fascist, mm -hmm. uh, which is what Kylo is. So it, it at first really bummed me out that Ben died because I thought, I thought he could have been like a real healing in the force in that like 
we had Darth Maul turn away from the Sith if you watch the shows yep. and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but he still stayed an angry, ruthless bastard and he was still a bad guy. Yep. We had Darth Vader turn from the Sith um, and turn to the light side, which is a progression, but it was at the end of his life. He's an old man, he dies. And I thought, well, this could have been the way for someone to turn away from the Sith, but get move on and be able to live his life. And I thought that could have been something really lovely. And I would have been happy if that happened, but I, I became more okay with his death when I realized, and I called him this in the Last Jedi episode too, that Kylo is the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> and the Phantom of the Opera may be romantic, he may be alluring, we might like him, but the Phantom of the Opera always dies in the end. And that's even more than like the beast and the beauty and the beast. I think that's kind of the archetype that Kylo embodies. So it makes sense. And also like if he had lived, what, what does this movie do if Kylo Ren lives, <laughs> uh, Ben Solo lives? Is he going to be accepted by everybody? Really, you think he's going to go to jail? Like there's no other way for his life to move on than for him to go to prison for the rest of his life for his massive crimes. Like, let's remember, he is a mass murdering galactic fascist monster. And it's great that he finds redemption in the end. But it, I, I completely understand the writers killing him off because it would have been difficult to move forward in any other way. Yeah, he'd have to just exile himself, basically, you know, and like, yeah, I guess be like living off as like a smuggler or something. I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's really no wiggle room for Kyla or Ben in this movie after that point. And I don't know, the, the kiss, it feels quick, like it's deep, but it feels not super romantic. But other than like a kiss of respect in some sort of aspect, like a friendship, like I appreciate this person and what they've done for me. In a way, why don't you ever give me a kiss of respect? I always kiss you in the forehead when I see you <laughs> and I kiss you and I go, look how old you've become. <laughs> but no, I, I love oh, how boy. Kylo kisses him and then just immediately dips after like, he's like, I I'm out of here. I'm a force ghost now. <laughs> <laughs> I really Poor wish we had guy. to see a force ghost Ben Solo. I do too. I, I, I wish like the ending was a little bit less rushed funny thing is like when i when i just rewatched return of the jedi i realized the ending of, Re of return of the jedi is really rushed it's yeah. more rushed than this movie is mm -hmm. but even so i still think i would have liked five to ten minutes more at the end and i would have liked some kind of acknowledgement of ben's redemption and passing but instead he just he's redeemed he dies and that's it like he's never mentioned again and i would have just liked a little bit more you know yeah, but I will say, I mean, the ending ending is like her bearing the lightsabers of the two Skywalkers at Tatooine. That's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and her with BB-8, you know, who's posed droid, but she's he's going to bull with Ray now, kind of looking onward. It makes me like excited. Like, okay. I remember leaving the theater thinking like, what the hell are they going to do next with these movies or like this, these characters, you know? Yeah. And Kathleen Kennedy just said, it was all over like movie news headlines that, um, that those char these characters are not going to end and yeah. that they're having conversations about moving them forward. And I'm so happy about that. Because mm -hmm. honestly, like the people that hate these movies, I don't think they're the majority. Like these movies all made like a billion dollars individually, like each. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of like kids, people love, people love Kylo Ren, little girls dress up as Ray for Halloween. Like there are mm -hmm. a lot of kids that love these movies and I 10 to 15 years the narrative is going to totally change. Everybody's going to love these movies because those kids are going to be adults. Yeah, it, it, we we talk about this all the time. 
Um, like it seems like Disney right now is they wrapped up their trilogy because they had to get these movies out because like they spent so much money on the property for Star Wars. They had to get some money back so they could justify making more things. And now they get more experimental. They do the Mandalorian show. They're doing, you know, the Kenobi. They're doing the Ahsoka stuff. Um, like there's so much in the Bad Batch just came out, like you said, in last episode, like they, now they get to like, it was a little rough off the uh, off the landing with Rogue One and Solo in terms of box office success. I mean, they still made, I mean. No, Rogue One was super successful. Right, like, Solo was the only one that was less so. But they still make money, you know, like insanely safe to make these movies. But like they now they can justify making these shows and putting money on other things. Kind of like what MC the MCU is kind of done with like their TV shows on Disney Plus and stuff like that. Yeah, um, they're both going the Disney Plus route. And so they should. I mean, my God, The Mandalorian is a phenomenon. I would I would venture to say it's probably had more cultural impact than this trilogy has. Oh yeah, dude. Like, dude, Mando's so cool. <laughs> I love Mando. I still uh, my heart belongs to the sequel trilogy, but I still love the Mandalorian. Yeah, and, and, oh, dude, you get Carl Weathers, you get Baby Yoda. Oh man, like yeah, and Ahsoka. <laughs> yeah, dude, like the Mandalorian is a surefire. Like, um, yeah, ever, after you watch your Mandalorian episode in season three, I'll probably be like, dude, I'm logging in, get out. I gotta watch the episode because <laughs> <laughs> I bum off your Disney Plus. Um, but yeah, the Rise of Skywalker on rewatch, dude. Um, it, it it it, I only like it more. It doesn't feel lesser every time I watch it. It only just grows better for me. Me too. Um, so, you know, I, I really encourage people to watch it again. It's it's definitely the one I watched where it, it's the one where I feel like it'll be a background movie for me because it's like whenever I turn around, I see something I like. There's good dialogue going on. There's some exciting thing going on from these sequel trilogy movies. Um, it's not my favorite, but it's definitely a strong point in the trilogy, I think. Yeah, I think The Last Jedi is the one that I would say is the best. Mm-hmm. I think I would say it's my favorite. But I think Rise of Skywalker makes me the happiest. Like I sort of, I get what you're saying when you call it background movie. And I think you're one of the rare people that say that as a compliment. I think a lot of people would say that as an insult. But what you mean by that is like, there's always something fun going on. And anytime you pop back in, you're going to see something that's a blast Mm -hmm. to look at. And that's, that's how this movie is. It's just so consistently entertaining. I inevitably, whenever I say background movie, I always immediately think to college packing with you, like cleaning up our room or like packing (laughs) up to go to a different dorm room. And it's like, we have a movie in the background playing. And it's like, we stop what we're doing, just kind of sit and watch the movie a little bit and then get back to it. It's often Sam Raimi, Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Batman or Superman, the ultimate edition, (laughs) Star Wars. (laughs) <laughs> nerdy stuff basically pretty much pretty much um but yeah dude i uh i really really like this movie it only got better for me i felt very satisfied with it and like it may be thirsty for more you know oh yeah, it, it just, yeah absolutely it gives you so much where it's just like it, it's not like the end of return of the jedi where it's like everyone's dancing and it's like that's the end like they're celebrating this success this movie is like everyone's like embracing each other and kind of looking onward on what to do next and i kind of like yeah i know what that is that's the feeling i get too. the final shot when ray is looking into the sun i'm just like she's off to the next adventure and i want to go with her i want to see what it is i want to i want to see where ray goes i want to see finn eventually trained to be a jedi because i that's absolutely going to happen. I can't wait to see it um, when he's going to have a green light. I've seen, I've seen so much fan art of Finn holding a green lightsaber. And now I'm like, Disney, get on this. He looks so good with a green lightsaber. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he holds a lightsaber in this movie too a few times as well. 
Does he? I don't he, even remember. Yeah, he does in the he does in the cave. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, cool. it's like small moments like that. But yeah, I mean, he's to- he's more than capable for sure. Um, I also love oh, man. Like this movie is just all about like these characters. But I when I think about Finn, I think about the part with Poe where Poe's just like, "Hey, I can't do this alone. I need you to be on here, General." And then Finn's about to tell him, he's like, "Oh wait, wait. First of all, thank you for that, by the way." And then like goes out and tells him, <laughs> "That's great." Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but. You know, I feel like Finn and Poe are primed for like uh, a double movie together or show, you know, together oh, or something, yeah. you know. Oh, but like a buddy cop or hey, even a romance movie. I would be into that. Hey, I just need them two together, basically. I can't yes, wait me for, too. for Dune part two to be announced and uh, John Boyega is going to be in it. And I'm like, oh, if only they let Oscar Isaac live, then we could have got these boys together in Dune. <laughs> but John Boyega is too busy being a Pacific Rim. Just kidding. I don't think they're going to make another one of those. I never saw Pacific Rim. Oh, he was in Pacific Rim too. Oh, hmm. yeah. It was one. It was one of his like post Star Wars, you know, big breaks, starring roles kind of things. Yeah, he's one of the guys because you know you can't tell in these movies, but he's super British. Uh-huh. He's one of the guys I'm kind of knocking around my brain for James Bond. I think he, especially like watching this movie, how just cool he is. Mm-hmm. I think he would. He could do that. Yeah, he's a. Uh... I'd like to see him be in a lot more work than what he's getting right now. He just needs to stop. I mean, I don't like talking about them in their personal lives, but he needs to stop bashing movies that he's in. Oh my God. That was <laughs> such a, that a little too much. The rise of Skywalker. Like I think everything on Twitter with rise of Skywalker was just like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. <laughs> like post post the movie coming out. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't even think about the Twitter discourse. It's too much. Yeah. What? But, is, um, what? I mean, I think Michael Scott. What does Michael Scott say about the discourse on Twitter? Does he have a quote about that ever? Oh, he just. He always. He calls it a hell site a um, lot. He and always, you know, can't argue with the man. He doesn't He's call it right. He doesn't call it the Twitter. He doesn't call it Twitter. He calls it the bird app. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh. Uh, but yeah, anyway, if you liked seeing Ben Solo and you want to see more of him, I highly recommend you watch another sci-fi uh, director in House of Gucci by Ridley Scott. <laughs> I'm so excited for that movie. I'm so upset that I have to go to like Thanksgiving family stuff and a wedding this week. And I can't just immediately go see House of Gucci. It's a huge inconvenience. Hey, it's not, it's my name, sweetie. It's our name, sweetie. Oh man, I'm so excited <laughs> for this fucking movie. Father, son, house of Gucci. I, I just, I hope I'm chanting that after I leave the theater. I can't wait to go on the bird app and say like house of Gucci was great, but Al Pacino's the, who stole the show. You know, I'm going to be that guy. I've heard people say that actually. Oscar nominee, uh, Al Pacino for house of Gucci already. Or a Jared Leto. Oh, please no. <laughs> Anybody but Jared Leto. Please. He's the only thing about the movie I'm not psyched He's about. doing a Mario impression in the trailers. And I'm wondering how's Chris Pratt going to do with Mario then? Oh my God. <laughs> Don't remind me about Chris Pratt. By the way, shout out to our boys over at the terror table. Cause like Mitch went off about Chris Pratt on a recent episode. And it was like the most hilarious and affirming podcasting I've heard in a long time. <laughs> oh, Mitch, uh, man. He, he's really like a voice of the people. He really kind of says what we all want to say on the bird app. I'm saying bird app for Twitter from now on. By the way, Mitch, he's one of the Rise of Skywalker fans. So shout out to our boy. He wasn't one of the people complaining about it. Was he really? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I remember him talking about it. He liked it. Oh, I always thought of Mitch as the toxic Star Wars fan. No, he's <laughs> <Just> not. 
<laughs> I just miss him. So I got to bash him just to remind him I do. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, man, I mean, Rise of Skywalker, dude, it's, um, it's goaded. Um, it, the sequel trilogy is great. Um, I love rewatching these movies. I'm jealous. I didn't watch the original trilogy, but I will say after I was done watching Rise of Skywalker, it was like 10 PM. And I was like, I kind of want to watch the original trilogy right now. I think it could fit in a new hope and a little bit of Empire Strikes Back tonight on top of that. Dude, go for it. Go for it. It's insane that Star Wars, no matter which episodes you watch, kind of itch to watch more after that, you know, but then you realize they're like two hours long. (laughs) But then you can just put on solo and it just like breezes by so fast. You barely, you don't even notice the Bro, I can't, I I watch solo too. Like, I think that with Last Jedi is like my most watched Star Wars movies. Seriously. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Like we're talking, we're talking about solo next week, right? Yeah. We're going to be talking about solo and Rogue One. Um, so I'm saving my stuff for that, but yeah, um, it's, it, it, it's one of those weird, we, we talked about it. Um, we talked about it in force awakens where Star Wars is one of those meetings where like, you know, you can always just watch them whenever, you know, I know you'd like to watch them at the end of the year, but like, I mean, you could just, they just always hit. It's weird. <laughs> they do. It's just, it's a world that I love to live in, you know, like I love to just spend time in this world, see stormtroopers walking around, hear lightsabers, hear blaster fighting, uh, see droids over there, you know, just everything about how it looks, how it sounds, how it feels. Even if the movie's not great, it's, which they usually are, it's, it's just going to make me happy. Yeah. And it's like, you know, all the flavors that Star Wars offers, you're going to choose the salty one. That's a weird, weird choice, fam. Um, but yeah, I really like Vice Skywalker. Daniel, thank you for being on here to bring some positivity to this movie. Like I said, it does leave a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth and it kind of hasn't gone away after two years. So, um, I hopefully give people, it time. Yeah. Give I, feel it time. Like, I feel like people need to rewatch this one more. So, um, you know, people just need time away from all of their expectations and their hopes and they need time away from the baggage of the last Jedi discourse. Like I, I, I really think just the conversation around last Jedi that alone like soured this movie for people. Um, they were just like, I think people were so paranoid that this movie was going to retcon The Last Jedi. So they like looked for any little hints that maybe it did and magnified them. Um, I, a lot of people just need some distance, you know, and, and I'm, I'm willing to give that, you know, take some time, come back to it in a couple of years, see what you think. Yeah. You know, maybe you get a little bit older and you'll understand what screenwriting is and, and character yeah. development. Yeah, Chris does not have the crayons <laughs> to explain this to you. <laughs> uh, but no, this this was me being nice to these kind of people. Um, just wait till that that film feast episode. You know, this <laughs> episode till- this episode is not gonna age well <laughs> after that. Just wait till solo. Cause remember when we talked about Last Jedi and I was saying, like, hey, I understand if you didn't like this. I solo, I don't. I don't understand you. I don't. I think like, I don't even know how I'm going to be understanding at all. I'm out for blood. I'm out one. for blood too. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I'm, I'm convinced if you don't like Solo, you just one, either don't like Star Wars or two, you don't know what sexiness is because that's Solo as well for me. Solo is a sexy Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, but you know, something to little chemtrails for people to follow back. <laughs> um, yeah, Daniel, um, where can people find you to revisit old tweets to cancel you because of the Rise of Skywalker? Oh, yes. Uh, I did do a lot of tweeting about Rise of Skywalker back in the day. Uh, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Epler Daniel. Uh, you can follow my podcast on Twitter at Cobwebs Pod. Um, the podcast is on all podcast apps. It's the Cobwebs Podcast, and you can follow me there.
Yes. And please, people, if you, uh, what are your thoughts on the sequel trilogy of Star Wars? Uh, I like the interactions we've gotten in the comments. You know, it's, I think it's really convincing people to rewatch these movies or kind of come out of their shells, which is really cool. We want to get a lot of positivity on this podcast from people who listen, but it seems like it's <laughs> becoming a safe place for people to embrace their love of these sequel tra- Star Wars movies. Yeah. And by the way, if you're mad at me for saying that you should keep the prequels in mind when you watch these, uh, Doug, just so you know, no hard feelings. But seriously, <laughs> y'all need to revisit the prequels. Dude, whenever Doug is going to be coming on here, he knows it's all it's all fair in love. It's all Caddyshack 2. <laughs> no matter what you're talking about, it always comes back to Caddyshack 2. Well, shout out Doug at Good Movies, Great Times. Um, but other than that, uh, my name is Chris. You can follow me at Hurtastic underscore Chris. Email the show at uh, InsideSequel.com. Uh, listen to our previous episodes if you haven't been caught up yet. Uh, but let us know what your thoughts are on Rise of Skywalker. And uh, don't forget to tune in for our final episode where we talk about um, uh, Solo and a little bit of Rogue One as well. Um, But other than that, thank you all for listening. And remember, if you aren't standing the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, I'm convinced you don't care about cinema. Other than that, we'll see you next time.